without the music, let's just lift all of our voices. For the Lamb is worthy. Well, we want to introduce our speaker this morning. You guys, although you know him well, but he's a mentor and a father and had vision for this place. And uh, give him a hand. We welcome. It's his first time here. Rick. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And... Uh, Good to be anywhere when you get my age. <laughs> but uh, no, it is uh, great to be back here. I know you guys thought I was a visitor, but uh, I actually started this church a long time ago. So, uh, but it is good. Uh, uh, sorry it's been so long. But uh, I've got a lot to share with you today. 
Okay? I'm going to try to catch you up on a lot of things. And, uh, but I want to talk about who we are. Do you know who you are? Okay. Our basic identity is supposed to be Christ. Are we becoming like him and doing the works that he did? And uh, are we growing up in all things into him? But we also has, have an identity as kind of a tribe in the body of Christ. You know, I believe there are different tribes and different movements. And, and uh, I, someone was telling me this morning that we should change our name of this church to Morning Star Baptist because there's so many. But how many Baptists or former Baptists are here this morning? Wow, that's great. That's awesome. And uh, I was glad to hear about that breakout at the Baptist church here in Wilkes County. I hadn't heard that. That's extraordinary. We really should go over and support them any way we can. But leave your weird at home. You know what I'm saying? And because uh, we can be pretty weird to a lot of people, and, and you're free to be weird here. We like weird. You know, but uh, when we go places where they, they, they don't understand it, don't, don't take it. It's a stumbling block. When in Rome, be like the Romans. Don't become an unnecessary stumbling block. And I think that's the way we honor others. But let's, anytime something like that breaks out, we should all rally to help them, support them, do anything we can, and to honor the whole body of Christ. And... Uh, you know, just as the high priest carried the stones of all the tribes on his heart, you know, if we're going to walk in the high calling of God, we've got to carry all of God's people in our heart. And uh, if we're our high priest, he has all of them. And even though, you know, Aaron, who was the high priest, uh, was a part of one of the tribes, he had to carry all of the tribes on his heart. And I, I believe that's fundamental to our identity as a ministry, something we want it to be fundamental is that we respect the whole body of Christ and that we connect with it any way that we can. We uh, support it. We, we don't presume to be more than we are, but we fit in as doing our part. And, uh, but we also, as each of the tribes in Israel, had their own identity. They had their own prophecies, they had their own mission and purpose and, and character, I think it's, we're supposed to have a unique character. And God makes every snowflake different. He loves diversity. He loves uniqueness. Over the last few years, I've, every uh, year I've tried to visit some of our Morning Star churches all over, and we have them all over. I don't even know how many we have or where they are but I've tried to go to some of them, and every one, what stood out to me was they were all unique. There was no one thing you could say, this made it Morningstar. You couldn't recognize anything like that. And I, I, you know, that really kind of is our hall, hallmark, and I hope we continue in that, that people are free to be who God called them to be. That every church is free to be unique. You know, I visited, some of you may know Red Wilson up there in Seattle. Uh, Red may be around this week, I don't know. But, you know, they've got a biker church up there. And these were serious, they call them one percenters. They were, you know, members of some of the most serious biker gangs up in the, you know, out on the West Coast. And 
the Northwest, barely converted. And uh, I can say that because, you know, one of them started this awesome ministry to bikers, and he died, and they had a shootout over who was going to take his place. This is a Christian ministry. They got mad, they got more and more intense, and then, then they pulled their guns out. And that's why I think I can honestly say that many of them are still are barely saved. They were showing me little stars on their colors. This was, each star was how many times they'd been shot. <laughs> and, uh, but you pull up there Sunday morning, there are just hundreds of Harleys, and, and I rode with them, you know, went, did a, went to a biker wedding and, and all that. It was great. I, I love that kind of thing. We need that in the body of Christ. Listen, all of us are closer to being barely saved than we realize. Now, the, the, the cross is enough to save us. And that we're in, we're, we're secure in that, we know that. But you know what I mean. We're all restoration projects. We're all in restoration. But some of them a little more so. And, uh, but, uh, it, you know, I can't tell you how encouraging that is to me. But uh, I think this particular congregation though, is called to have a certain identity really deeply connected to missions. Okay, and that is uh, something I think we're going to see growing up into. This is our mission base. This is going to be our mission base that I think is going to be increasingly uh, important in the things that we're doing. So I want to inform you a little bit. Many of you may not even know you know, much about Morningstar missions, about what we have in missions. And I think you know George Parrott. He may have shared with you. But George was overseeing a mission organization, CMM, which was, you know, uh, Christ's mandate for missions, but had about 500 missionaries under it. Now, George has been a part of us for a long time, and uh, he had been overseeing this organization, and they felt to join with Morningstar. And uh, they actually voted unanimously to do that. So when CMM and, and Morningstar joined, we inherited over 500 missionaries out in the field. And uh, besides those that we have out there. And uh, I didn't know them. I knew George. I knew this was a God thing. But every single one I have met, and I've only met a, you know, a small percentage of them, they're some of the, I think, some of the greatest missionaries I've ever met. And I spent years, you know, I used to speak at the Amsterdam base, the mission base there. They'd bring in all their uh, missionaries from all over Europe. I've spent a lot of time with missionaries and speaking at mission organizations. But I was shocked at how awesome some of them were that were in this organization. And some of them have literally thousands of churches under them. George and I tried to estimate just how many churches we had under our missionaries in India, and it was somewhere between 12 and 16,000 churches just in India. Now those churches don't have, probably don't have a clue who Morningstar is. It's, they're under these missionaries. These missionaries did the work. We're trying to support them. We send pallets of materials to them and 
resources and all, but it, it really is quite an awesome thing. In a couple of those provinces in India, I think they're, I really think their culture is being changed by the move of God. Now, there's some of them that hadn't been changed at all, and it's that way. Uh, there's different things going on. George was asked to go visit the Yunnan province in China by the state church, the head of the state church there. And George went very, you know, he was cautious. He didn't know. You know, we've had Chinese people from China, from mainland China in our conferences since the mid-90s. Almost every conference, there'd be four to six, sometimes a dozen from China. And this was back when it was, didn't have near the freedom and economic freedom that they do now. They were just processing, just moving that direction. But we've had kind of a relationship with them. Well, when church, when George goes over there and meets with the head of the Yunnan province, he finds out this guy is a true missionary. He loves the Lord. He has an experience. He's a spirit-filled believer. He's a church planter. But he's the head of the state church in that province. And, uh, and God is moving through the state church there. And there's several provinces in China where they are just wide open and, and uh, to the gospel. There's tremendous freedom. Of course, there are others where there's still heavy persecution of Christians. And one of the things we do, we get news of this persecution, we think that's China. We hear of something going on in a country and we think that's the way it is in that country. But we, we, I think one of the biggest deceptions is our tendency to judge other people or groups or things by their most extreme elements. And only the most extreme elements are going to make the news. There's a, a great move of God going on in Iran right now. And um, we've got a lot of people there under our covert missions thing. And we've got uh, some extraordinary things going on over in the, the Middle East. And uh, some of them you've read about in the paper. You just didn't know way down they were connected to us under the Morningstar CMM umbrella, including the pastor Dave had you pray for earlier. There's... Uh, there's just stuff going on. Some stuff you can talk about, some you can't. But God is moving all over the world. You know, right now, Christianity is growing at the lowest ebb it has grown at in a long time. We are only adding about 175,000 people to the body of Christ every day. And this is the lowest it's been in a long time. Just a few years ago, Christianity was adding about 375,000 people a day worldwide. Christianity is by far the fastest growing religion in the world, even though we're in kind of a, a plateau, a low point. Now, I think the Lord showed me that low point when he gave me the vision of the harvest, showed me those two waves, and that in between those waves there would be a real... Low, it seemed like a, you know, just a, almost a reprieve, which sometimes you need a reprieve from revival, from missions and things. You just need to back up. Sometimes you need to be pruned and everything else, you know, to get ready for the next one. But he said, 
when it looked like Christianity was in the retreat all over the world, he said the greatest move of God is going to break upon the earth, and it's going to break like a tsunami. Now, I've shared that with you before. And uh, that, that's how tsunami comes. The water starts receding just before the wave comes in. So I think this low ebb of Christianity, we really need to get ready. And uh, I've been saying that for the last couple of years as a warning because I received it as a warning. We're not ready for what's coming in. Now here, we also, we've got a lot more planned for this place than this building. We've, uh, of course, we're just beginning the downstairs. There are a lot of things we, we want to work out over the next just probably couple of weeks to uh, what we need to finish down there. But one of the things we need is a communication center where we communicate quickly and easily and directly by Skype or whatever we can do with our missionaries in the field. We've had prophetic teams praying over these missionaries. Some of you may be, have been a part of those teams. They had, many of them had been out there for a long, long time, never received a single word from God like that, and you cannot believe the impact it had in their life. You just can't imagine. We take so many things for granted. Well, I think there's some of you that are going to get a real heart for that, praying for these missionaries, maybe praying for some specifically and hearing from God for for them and uh, ministering to them. And you know, as King David said, those who stay with the baggage receive the same reward as those who go to the front. Or those who do the support behind the scenes get the same reward. We need each other. But this place, it's gonna be going 20, it's gonna be going ultimately 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's going to be teams down there praying for our missionaries. There's going to be others down there planning the mission, the missions and, and the coordination, the sending out of resources and materials. Right now, I mean, still, even recently, we had our people out there who ran into each other out in the field, out in another country, didn't know they were there. We can do better than that. We can do a whole lot better when we coordinate better. And I'm thankful we got so many people, so many churches that are sending people all over and, and that there's so many great things going on. But I think there's a new level of effectiveness we can have with coordination and planning and support and the prayer, everything else we need. So uh, you're going to be hearing a whole lot more about missions. And our goal is that everyone in our primary churches... And this is one of our primary churches. And so is Ford Mill. But we're, our hope is that everyone in our primary churches can make at least one mission trip. And then I think if you do that, you're going to get addicted and you're going to say, I'm going to have to do one a year. And then you may get addicted and say, I've, I've got to do better than that. And start getting out there with some of these teams. We've got... People begging for teachers, begging for, you know, any kind of help. And uh, we, we did send some to India, P.G. Vargas over there, and he sent them back. He said, you don't understand. Our people want meat, not milk. And I appreciate it. So we, we've got to set a certain standard, too. 
And we want everybody to have the strongest foundations. Those who are the best in every field, the most successful in every field are those who do the basics best. We want to have the basics down, but we want to go giving them what they need, not what we think we need to give them. We've got to be a little more discerning. When the Lord had a word for the seven churches in Revelation, they all needed a different word, even though they existed, existed at the same time and in the same general region, they needed a different word. And I think we've got to rise above having this one canned word that we think is for everybody. That's our word. No, we've, we've got to really be discerning of what do they need and expecting the Lord to, to uh, give us what they need for them. But uh, you know that you know, as a ministry, when we went through several years of pretty serious pruning. We needed it to bear more fruit. We, uh, we had so many people saying, we're not going to survive, we're not going to make it. We even had our, you know, we have a mortgage on the heritage property. They did everything they could to get, make us default. When we were in our weakest state, we're praying in every payroll, not knowing if we're going to make this payroll or not, they made a call on a note and said, you got to pay this half million dollar note off. And we didn't know where it's going to, it came. And Dave and I still can't figure out where it came from, but there was a half million dollars there and we paid off that note. They were trying to make us default to seize that property. They actually told us that. And, uh, you know, we went through a lot, but it, it was really helpful. We need things like that. Right now we're prospering. And it was a turnaround that it was so fast, so quick, we still don't know how that happened. I mean, we know a little bit. But we've, we're now in a place of extraordinary, uh, I would just say, blessing. The Lord's blessing us and prospering us. And, and, uh, but we, we want to keep the same mentality for efficiency and effectiveness that we did when we're praying in every payroll. We don't want to waste the Lord's resources. And uh, we, want to, we want to be faithful to the parable of the talents so he'll give us more. You know, we, uh, we have a, you know, we borrowed it from a military strategy. It's called multiplication of forces. And uh, where put the right people in the right place, they can be worth many more soldiers or forces. You know, that's a military strategy that really developed our special forces and, and all. But we, we try to do that ministry that if somebody gives us something, let's try to multiply its impact. And uh, I think it's happening a lot of ways. Some, we're not seeing it in everything, but we're seeing it more and more. We're, we're finally getting the last big piece of the Heritage Grand Hotel finished, which was this giant kitchen that served the big cafeteria there that was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most people served in a 24-hour period. It may still be there. It was this giant kitchen, and about the best estimate we got for finishing that kitchen was over 300000 and uh, most, some of the estimates were as high as 500,000. We're getting it done for about 50,000. <laughs> you know, that's, 
And uh, we just, you know, had, and it really is, the Lord really sent us someone that has, is able to pull this off. And Dave Yarns, you guys have met Dave. He's one of the most remarkable guys, but he just got out there and worked and got things donated and got whatever. But we're, that's the mentality we want to have regardless of what we're trusted with. Let's make the most out of it. And let's not just use it to build stuff. Let's use it to get souls saved, to get, you know, the kingdom built. Then we'll have nice stuff. But we're not here for that. But uh, I want to back up just a little bit. The, uh, you know, we are getting much stronger as a ministry. We're probably stronger now than we've ever been by far. I'm not just talking financially. I think the core team, the core leadership, the, the, uh, just the, you know, the different departments, everything is going strong. And the, the major aspects of the ministry that I foresaw back in 1985, I had a vision of these different things that make up Morningstar now, each different part. I think they're all, we've got a pretty solid foundation and all of them we're building upon now. I don't know that there's any new thing we're going to jump on. I think we've got plenty to do building up the foundations on what we already have. The schools, the churches, the worship, the um, publishing, and, and all, you know, all the different aspects of what we have. Now, I, I personally, uh, you, know, you know, even though I think you know, we were shown prophetically how important it is for what is up here to be connected to what is at Fort Mill. There are also unique identities that you have that they don't have and vice versa. As you take on, and I believe you will see this happening, more and more the mission vision, I believe down there you're going to see more and more of the school vision. That's more of their identity. And these are two mantles that we have. Uh, we have other mantles, but these are two, and they fit together. You know, we named our school, our K through 12 school down there after John Amos Comenius, who's the father of modern uh, education, called the father of modern education. He was the, the first one to really have a vision for all children being educated not just the children of the nobility. He saw it as a mandate for the church, but his real vision for education was to prepare a generation to fulfill the Great Commission. And, you know, he was the one who, he lived about 100 years after John Huss, who I think was one of the trumpets and one of the forerunners who prepared the way for the Reformation may have been one of the greatest preachers in church history, but he had a vision for the church that was very different than what was known anywhere in the world at that time. And uh, he challenged the, the present powers that were. He even had the, uh, he was uh, so obnoxious, he even one time said, I'm not even sure if the Pope is saved. Got him in trouble, as you could imagine. Well, he got burned at the stake, and uh, he wouldn't compromise. He had the chance to compromise, save his life. He said, I'm not going to, he said, I can't compromise the truth. 
and he was burned at the stake. While he was being burned, he prophesied that the seed of the Reformation would fall into the ground and die, but would sprout again in 100 years' time. He didn't call it the Reformation. He called it the seed, the holy seed. John Amos Comenius lived over 100 years after John Huss, but he was leading a group called the Hussites because they were followers of the teachings of John Huss. And they were from Moravia. That's where Moravian Falls. You guys know the history here. I hope you do. It's a great history. But uh, he, you know, prophesied when they were being persecuted and driven from their homes that the seed Huss spoke of was going to sprout 100 years' time. How encouraging would that be? This awesome thing's going to happen 100 years from now. And hardly anybody today, I mean, we can't even stand two dry Sundays in a row. We're going to another church. The Lord's left, you know. That's... But he says 100 years, that seed's going to sprout, and they were all encouraged about it. But they didn't, they said, we've got to help prepare for this. That was their vision for schools came out of that. We've got to prepare a generation because the Great Commission is to make disciples, not just converts. And a disciple is a student. So he set about to, you know, to develop the schools and the education that would prepare a generation to fulfill the Great Commission. And of course, it was you know, Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf who happened upon Comenius' writings. They say within a week of being exactly 100 years from when Comenius prophesied that. And, and of course, that's what led to the Moravian Pentecost and, and the beginning of modern missions. And if you're a Baptist, you probably have heard your whole life about William Carey being the father of modern missions, but William Carey denied that. He said, I was not the father. Zinzendorf was the father of modern missions. And he took the vision from Comenius. Zin, even William Carey had been inspired by the Moravians. And of course, they had come, you know, they had sent a group to buy. Zinzendorf had purchased 100,000 acres in central North Carolina as a base for reaching the, gospel, the Americas with the gospel. And that was called the Wachovia Track. The Wachovia Bank was named after that. You can go to Old Salem now. That's still a remnant of that Moravian community. Of course, they still have the greatest Moravian symphony in Winston-Salem. And, and uh, the largest Moravian community is over there in Winston-Salem. But they were the true fathers of modern missions. And I think they're a part of the anointing of this place. We're on their land that they had purchased back then as a base for reaching the Americas with the gospel. And of course, they were the fathers of modern missions. Well, I think we're partaking of something they laid a foundation for, but we're going to see the fullness come in. They planted the seed. They watered the seed. They carried the seed. But I think that seed's about to sprout in the greatest move of God there's ever been. And you, you know how we were led here by the extraordinary dream that Bob Jones had. And uh, how detailed it was and how it was all fulfilled to the... I don't think there's a single part of that that wasn't fulfilled in incredible detail. And uh, 
Well, we're going to see the mission sprout again. Of course, the Moravians are famous for their intercession. They were the ones who had the 100-year-long intercessory prayer meeting. They, they interceded around the clock, 24 hours a day, for 100 years, started to pray for their missionaries, and uh, lasted 100 years. Guess what? That anointing, I think, is going to come upon us. Anointing for prayer and intercession. That's one of the purposes of this building. Praying for those missionaries. Praying in general. Who knows what's going to erupt. But I believe there's going to be a time where you're going to come here any night of the week and there's going to be people in here just praying and interceding with fire. With fire. We've had a touch of that in Charlotte lately. We had intercessory meetings they were really, you know, we get weird sometimes. We admit it. There were people hoisting tables up and marching around the room. People. I mean, it was just out of control intercession. Several hundred people. And uh, there has been a new fire to just fall on intercession up there. Some of you may have been, been, heard about it and been in it, but it's, you really feel something is really happening. And you know when you get in that intercessory fire, I mean, we need to be faithful even when it's dry or whatever. And that, I think some of that prayer and intercession may even mean the most to the Lord. But I love it when the incense is burning with fire, you know. And uh, I think you're going to come into this building. There's going to be a time when any night of the week and probably any time, you're going to be able to come in here and there's going to be fiery intercession. God answers prayer. Uh, they had worship. You know, of course, you look almost any hymn book today, and you'll find hymns by Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. I mean, he wrote some of the great hymns. And, uh, you know, we had that. Some of you probably, I've heard it so much, it was probably, I've been hearing over and over, it's like 1996 again. And really, Morningstar is... 2.0, we're firing rockets again, like firing the second stage of a rocket now. And, uh, but a lot of ways, it's like we've been here before. We know this, where we are. And uh, some things are coming around again. 1996 is when we began the Heart of David uh, Worship and Warfare Conferences, and those were explosive. Were any of you there when the pillar of cloud came in, the fire came, had the cloud appear right in the middle of our stage? You know, I mean, the Lord showed up. I mean, he was there anyway. If the cloud hadn't come, you'd have known the Lord was there. It was so intense. And uh, spectacular things. Well, guess what? We're coming around again. You feel something building there, something of a critical mass. And uh, critical mass takes two you know, U-235 uranium fired together by two cannons. They hit together, smash together, form the critical mass. That's what creates a nuclear explosion. But one cannot do it. You've got to be fired off to hit another one and have that chain reaction because you're joined with another one that releases the power. That's why I think Barnabas had to go and get Paul before they could get released in their own ultimate purpose. There's, there's, there are joinings that have to take place to really release 
the power. So we're looking for those. But uh, the recent book I wrote, The Path, that I think it's starting off with more, we're getting more bigger and more uh, feedback, better feedback on this than we got on the final quest. I think it may be better and more important, but that's the kind of feedback we're getting. All of a sudden, this thing's firing off everywhere. I can't believe some of the things I'm reading. Go on Amazon, look at the, just the quotes on there from people who have read it. The, uh, it feels like that whole thing of Final Quest, the deal, which by the way, that's part of our calling, not just to write books like that, but to live what's in them, to live those messages. And we really have to understand this path, this path that we're called to walk and where it leads. And, uh, but things are really coming together again. When I came up here the other day, I got smacked in the face twice on the same day with the same scripture in a way that I had no doubt this is God. I had no doubt the first time. Then he did it again. I already knew this is you. I, I get this. He did it again anyway. And that means it's really him. Doesn't it say because the dream was repeated twice? But uh, anyway, it was Psalm 87. It says, his foundation is in the holy mountains. And then it says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. And he goes on about that. Now, Zion, I believe, does represent Zion and Israel that is, has a special place in the purpose of God that we need to understand and be connected with. We also need to understand what Zion means spiritually. I mean, you had Israel, you got Jerusalem, and then in the midst of Jerusalem, the focal point of Jerusalem was Zion that represents the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that Paul was talking about in Philippians 3. There is a high calling. What Paul was talking about there when he says, I don't think I've yet attained, but I press on towards the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was not talking about salvation. He was not talking about eternal life. He had that the day he believed in the atonement of Jesus and the cross. He saw a high calling that was so awesome that near the end of his life when he wrote Philippians, he's thinking, I don't think I've yet attained, but I'm pressing on. I'm going for it. He even said, this one thing I do, I am, you know, forgetting what lies behind. I am pressing on towards this one thing. We've got to understand the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, when I first wrote the final quest, I gave it to a friend to read it. He used to read my manuscripts, and I'd read his, and uh, he wrote the Jabez prayer, you guys have, and uh, when he had me read the Jabez prayer, my response was, come on, Bruce, a book? This is maybe a good article, but a book? And it became one of the best-selling books of all time, you know, sold millions. 
But he, one of the things he told me about the final quest, he said he felt like it was another pilgrim's progress for our times. But he said it, he felt like it was so important because he said it reveals the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And without us understanding that high calling, we are going to remain in lukewarm Christianity. And Christianity is going to remain lukewarm. Now, the path is all about that, and it's lighting off, I think, because people are resonating, responding to that. We cannot stay in Christianity in its present condition. And there's a race to run, to go for it, to preserve it. And I think it's a, a tragedy and usually a, a case when you think you have attained the high calling, as some have claimed, I think you've already fallen from it. Paul the Apostle didn't know. I don't know that we can know in this life it's something we've attained. But I think it is something that can be focused to our life like nothing else. It is the greatest opportunity there has ever been in all of eternity and all of creation has been given to man to run this race for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There'll never be anything like it again. And the door will be shut very soon, where that greatest of all opportunities will be closed. It's get on the path and get on it now. Now, I think if, we'll, if we're doing that in pursuit of that, Jesus endured the cross because he had vision and purpose and a hope of what he was going to receive for the reward. There is something of that that we need as our motivation. We may start out selfish, but trust me, you stay on that path, all the selfishness will get dealt with. Just get on the path. Whatever your motives are, get on it. Get on it. We will be so sorry if we did not do everything we could to serve him and to, to do and be all that we could in these times. That's all I'm going to say about that. Right now, the rest, you're going to have to read the book. Okay? But the book's better. But what is it we're after? I think it's something else we've got to understand about our identity and purpose here. What was it that compelled Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees? It's the same vision. He was looking for a city. Now, the church is called many things. We're called a, a field, a building, a temple, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, an army, a bride. You know, we're called many things, a body. But one of the things you hardly ever hear the church referred to is the city we're called to be. A city set on a hill. And that's what, seeing that city was what compelled Abraham to leave everything he knew and had. And to pursue, and even in places where he didn't know where he was going, he just knew what he was looking at. To be a part of what God is building, not just men. No man could figure this out. This is not our own genius, not our own doing. It's something God is doing. And I believe that has got to be the vision that compels us. 
we've got to see that city that we're called to be. Now, city is made up of communities, which are common unities. You know, we are a lot of our vision we have borrowed, I think been blessed with. I think we've been given a vision from the Lord, and, but we really have to acknowledge the father of this vision, the father and the mother was the Moravian church. And, and we, we wanna always honor them. It's our fathers and mothers and it's, it's not our, and we're taking a lot of their blessings, but their, you know, motto and their name, the Unitas Fratrum, the unity of the brethren. Because God's going to dwell in a city like that. His communities are common unities. There's a unity. There's only one way we can get that there and have that. One thing we have to acknowledge the uniqueness and start honoring uniqueness and distinctives instead of being threatened by them. People are different, have a different vision. That's great. We honor that. We don't get threatened. We don't, you know, feel that's a... a uh, a, you know, a problem. It's, we need it. You don't want your heart to start thinking, you know, I really want to be the lungs. I want to be lungs. No, you want the different parts of the body to do their job and, and to acknowledge and work together with the rest of the body. But it's a unity of, you know, it's, it's a unity of purpose. It's not a unity of conformity. It's where, it's a unity of purpose, but we'll never have that if we don't keep our attention and focused on what we're all doing, and that is growing up into the head. Jesus. But we've got to understand the city. Now, there's only one place in Scripture that we're given the answer to why there is weakness and sickness and premature death. I think I discussed this with you last time I was here. Hope you don't mind me reminding you some of these things, but they're critical and they're foundational for us to go on. There is only one scripture that mentions this, as far as I know, in the entire Bible. And that's in 1 Corinthians 11. And he says, because you don't discern the Lord's body. For this reason. Now, he talks about communion, partaking of the elements of communion. And doing it in an unworthy manner so that it brings judgment upon yourself. And uh, now the way we do that is when we partake of the elements or partake of the ritual of communion without having the reality in our life and thinking that partaking of a ritual, this fulfills our obligation. No, that is meant to be a reminder of what is supposed to be a reality in our life. And many have deceived themselves. All I have to do is take some bread and take some wine and have communion. You can drink all the wine in the county and eat all the bread in the county and not have communion. No, this is a ritual meant to remind us of our obligation to have common union, communion with the Lord and with his people, with the body and the blood, the life. 
And he said, if you partake of it in an unworthy manner, you bring judgment on yourself because you don't discern the Lord's body. Now, we want to have communion. You know, there are only two basic words used for the church in the New Testament. One of them is ecclesia. It speaks of the government and the organization of the church. The other word is koinonia. You're familiar with that word. That's the word translated communion there in 1 Corinthians 11. And it's often translated loosely fellowship. You need to dig into that word a little bit. It literally means a bonding together to such a degree, if you separate the parts, both parts would die. It's not just shaking hands on Sunday morning, slapping each other on the back, how you doing, how's your family? No, it's a being knit together where we cannot be separated without both parts dying. And that's why I think he said, for this reason, many are weak and sick and a number sleep. You know, you can sever a member from your body and it's going to get weak and sick and die really fast if it's not reattached. And that's happening to many Christians. Most Christians, right now, more Christians are not in a local church than are in a local church. Guess what? We're not going to get there without all the annoyances and frustrations of local church life. We need it to grow us up into what we're called to be. But I submit to you, we cannot have koinonia sitting here looking at the backs of each other's heads once a week. It isn't going to happen. I mean, meetings like this have purpose. You can have teaching, you can have corporate worship and all, but there's got to be a whole nother level of us being knit together and becoming the city we're called to be. And you know, most churches in the world, most church planting groups and they try to build on ecclesia. They start with organization and structure and I don't think you ever have koinonia. I think koinonia is so rare in the world right now. And it's the reason, main reason, the weakness, the sickness, and the premature death in the body of Christ. I think I've only touched it a couple of times. I don't think we have it yet in Charlotte. We don't have it at Fort Mill. We've got, it's, something's happened. We're growing closer together. There's some that are really being bonded, and we've got a really tight team and great fellowship, but I wouldn't call it koinonia yet. So, but we have the vision, and we're after it. We're in pursuit. And there's some things we've got to do to have it. It's got to be a focus and an intention on our part. Okay, but you know, you're gonna see things radically different down there starting the first of the year. We're gonna use December to kind of prepare people. But there's a lot of radical change going on. There's a lot more focus on the equipping of each individual purpose. We don't want a person, we don't want a single person in our church not knowing their gifts, their callings, and are, are being prepared for them and given the opportunity to start functioning. Because we're told in Ephesians 4, we're not going to get there without the proper working of each individual part. 
this is fundamental. There's some things we've got to do that I think to make that happen, but it's for the purpose, you know, of that city that God's building, where he's going to live, where he's going to be the light. I think once you taste that, once you taste that vision, you'll leave everything else to pursue it. And I think that is the walk. It began the walk of faith, the first walk of faith, and I believe it is the essence of everyone since. A true walk of faith is the pursuit of that city, God's dwelling place. So we don't want to overfocus. You know, I think... You need ecclesia, you need organization, you need government and church and all, but we can't build on that. As I see it in the New Testament, they waited until there was koinonia and then started to add the other. And I think if we're having koinonia, you know, the other, yeah, we'll need, okay, now we're at a point, we need deacons, let's do that, you know, and there are other things, but not where we're just try to build this structure, make everybody fit into it. Koinonia is the main thing. And there are a lot of things that help promote that. A lot of things that attract God. And that's the only way koinonia can happen. He's got to be in our midst. Where they're gathered in his name, in his authority, and he is there in their midst. It isn't going to work any other way. We can even... Be built, try to build on the vision of Koinonia, and it won't happen. Without him there, it can't happen. And that's where we started in the first place. Lord, where do you dwell? Lord, we, we want to see your manifest presence and where you dwell, not just visit. Lord will bless many things he won't inhabit. We want to be that dwelling place for him. But there is a level that we've got to grow into to be what we're called to be. And since your government health care is kind of uh, you know, up in the air, whether you're going to get any at all, let's don't get weak and sick and die. We can't keep doing that. And uh, if we do, we know the healer. We've got to know the healer. And uh, more and more, we've been saying that for years. You know, we've got to put our trust in the Lord. He's our healer, not the Affordable Health Care Act. I appreciate living in a country where they want to try to help you. They just can't do it. And if they do it, it's going to get more and more messed up. They're not gifted there. But we're seeing, you know, everything falling short, but the kingdom is not. And the king is going to be there. You know, as you see, the statue represents all of man's kingdoms crumbling in Daniel 2. There's a little rock that's growing into a mountain. And it's going to keep growing until it fills the earth. Let's build our lives on that kingdom. But we're supposed to be a city. What does that mean? One thing it means is communities together. Common unity. So there's a place for different visions and even though I think you're going to see the overall thing here just being focused more and more on missions. And listen, missions are different from revival. You understand that? Revival's here now. Revival is 
you know, important. They're the exciting things that happen. They, they're rare in history. I think overall they're less than 1% of the work of God in history. Probably far less than 1% has been revival. Far more people come to the Lord through the day-to-day faithful witnessing of individual believers. Actually, in our studies, you may have seen us doing that. I believe it's over 98% of all Christians come to the Lord through the witness of a friend or relative. More than crusades, Christian television, revivals, everything else put together. So us being faithful daily. And where's that going to come from? What, what makes the church want to go out and share its faith? You've got to be near that critical mass. If the Lord is in it, it religion's not going to make you do that. Legal obligation, you're going to fall short. It's got to be the all-consuming fire in our midst where we really have his manifest presence. You cannot stop talking about the one you love. You just can't stop sharing. We've got to have communion. We've got to have koinonia. Or to me, our whole mission is empty. It isn't going to be empty. You're not here for that. But Lord, I pray for all these hungry people come here today, and I know they came seeking to hear you, not me. And Lord, that's what I ask for. Lord, I ask you to give us a taste of that communion. Give us a taste of the vision of that city that you're building, that is built on that communion, the koinonia. You said if, your word says, if we dwell in the light, as you yourself are in the light, we have koinonia. And your blood will cleanse us from all sin. Lord, we ask for that koinonia. But Lord, we ask for the only thing that can bring true koinonia. That your manifest presence. Lord, we, we came, we don't want to just build a nice place to have meetings. We want to meet with you. We want to be joined with you as we are with one another. But Lord, I ask you, give us that vision that, that Abraham had. Give us that that would cause him to leave everything, risk everything, to be a part of what you're doing. Impart your vision, Lord. Oh, Lord, you said if we seek you, we would find you. And I ask for all of these seekers that they would find you this week in a special way. Lord, I ask you for prophetic dreams. I ask you for visions ask you for encounters that would be life-changing. Every encounter in your word that someone has with you in your word or with angels, every encounter radically changed that person. Lord, we need help. We acknowledge we need the helper. We ask for your help. We ask for encounters. We ask for vision. But Lord, I ask you for that Koinonia to be manifested in this place that would make this congregation a city that it is called to be. And then one, even it could be hidden away way back here and be a light that nobody could deny. There's a light coming from over there. 
There's a light shining over there. Lord, thank you for all those out in the field, all over the world that you've connected us with. But Lord, we ask for that for every one of them, that regardless of distance, we know that means nothing to you, that we would be knit together with them in that koinonia, that they too would help shine that light all over the world. Lord, I ask you for encounters. I ask you for vision and, and help, and especially our, the, those who are in prison now and those who are being tortured and for their faith in you. Lord, we ask you to do for them what you did for Stephen, where they could see you where you sit so that they don't even feel the stones. They don't even feel the torture. They're so captured by who you are. And Lord, let us live that way every day. In Jesus' name, amen.